first episode of the Rising Clyde podcast. We are a new digital publication focusing on bringing fresh ideas to the climate conversation. On this podcast, we will be discussing what can be done about the climate emergency, news, solutions, and I'll be chatting to some experts in specific fields relating to the climate, which brings us on to our first guest. Today, I'll be chatting to Dr. Carol Herman about eco-anxiety, which is a new form of anxiety plaguing a lot of young people today. Before that, though, I'll give a bit of background on Carol Herman. So she's a doctor of clinical psychology and senior lecturer at the University of Zululand in South Africa. She's a prominent and prolific researcher in the field of eco-psychology and believes that fostering a deeper connection with nature and the natural world around us as a soothing balm for eco-anxiety and anxiety in general. Throughout the podcast, she mentions how use of bonsai trees is a tool for this. She believes that by caring and nurturing a bonsai tree, individuals will foster a deeper connection to the natural world around them. She also touches on some key life lessons that can be imbued from caring for bonsai trees and upcycling in general. She also touches on some issues surrounding the current discourse around the climate emergency and the solutions available. So without further ado, let's get started on the podcast. I hope you enjoy this. I had a great time researching it and thoroughly enjoyed speaking to Carol. I uh, found it very insightful and she had a lot of good knowledge to talk about. So here it is, an interview with Dr. Carol Herman. Uh, yeah, so I did my PhD in... Uh, let me just take another step back. I've always done bonsais my whole life. Mm. And I'm a, I'm a psychologist. And when I wanted to do my PhD, my promoter said, do something you love and you get funding um, and it will not be, it won't be work. So it literally took me 18 months from start submitting my proposal to handing in my completed manuscript because it just didn't feel like work. And since then, I've had a lot to do with psychotheracy, which is a fancy name for the fallout from climate change. People feel depressed because of all the news of climate change and people, the different views, and and it's just, it's fascinating. So I still use bonsai as a therapy process, as a therapy tool to address those issues. And, And then I do a little bit of environmental concern or awareness. When I was traumatized youth, Um, I'm waiting for permission from our correctional services. I live in a very small village and we have a prison in our village. So I'm just waiting for the Department of Justice to give me permission to work with the prisoners. Again, then I'll use bonsai and I'll teach them conservation issues and climate change issues. So very, very, it, it is a hobby, but it's also academically where my interests lie yeah that sounds great so what is the um what's the process of using the bonsai to say treat um like psychotherapy then how does it work with your with your clients okay so also let me just take another uh, step back i live in one of the 
East Coast provinces of South Africa, very close to the Mozambican border. And this area where where my husband and I lived, uh, we had a scuba diving business. And we had a hotel um, and we got involved in scientists and climate change and the rising sea levels. But it came to light that a good few million years ago, the sea was approximately 80 k's inland, uh, close to a, a mountain. Because we find you, you can literally walk around and pick up stones and find fossils in it. Um, and we were told this was because of climate change. So 15,000 years ago, our reefs were actually exposed 80 k's away from the mountain. And now we're going to go back all the way to the mountain again. So that's a little bit of a preamble just to find out that the reason why the sea shifted was actually because Africa shifted, wasn't because of climate change. So I'm trying to educate the the local people about the superstition of the mountain and global warming, uh, which is as severe as we think we it is, but it's not the reason why the sea moved away then wasn't because of climate change. So we've got to look at other issues. I'm passionate about pollution, whether it is air pollution, environmental pollution. So while I'm teaching bonsai, I will take a tree. The people I work with live close to the earth. Um, and the environments, and they they normally come from a little bit of an agricultural background. So I will use the diseases and um, how nature works and how we need to fertilize the bonsai tree and treat the bonsai tree uh, to make it grow better and relate all these stories to what I'm doing. I also, because I don't speak the native language of the area in which I work, I then allow them to converse in their own language and I step back as a therapist and I contain the group. And I obviously assist with the the shaping of the bonsai tree, um, the maintenance of the style. But I, it, it's the bonsai is just a tool to explain what I mean. Yes, that's really interesting. So is that like how the bonsai is almost a relationship with nature? So how you would deal yes. with that would be how you should deal with, you know, nature as a whole rather than just through this one tree? Just through the one tree. I just want to tell you what I discovered with my PhD, um, and it's not the origin of bonsai, but it could have been. Um, many years ago, when during um, the various Japanese and Chinese eras, when the samurais would come and fight with the locals or the people, they would burn down their fields or chase them off their farms. So people started planting trees and pots so that it's easy to move their, their crops if they get attacked by an army. So this is the thing that I'm trying to, uh, the permanency of the bonsai tree that will always be with you and the conditions how to look after it because it can die because the the tree is in a shallow pot and the roots can't go and look for water um, and nutrients just like nature if we clog it with dirty air and pollution and global warming and rising sea levels it will kill all of that so we've got to 
literally take these things with us and move. It, it's more involved than that. That's just in a in a nutshell of where I go using that as a tool. More recently, we see that especially younger people are getting anxious because we are not looking after nature. Um, and that's where the psychotherapy come in. That's where depression comes in with global warming and um, ecotherapy, especially in Africa where we have vast deforestations, animals, uh, our rhinos are literally being, the, the black rhino is extinct, I think there's one left. Um, so I also try and reach them through that. And we find that it's okay for me. I'm, I'm old, I'm nearly dead. But the younger people sit with depression because they feel helpless. They can't do anything. They feel that it's almost out of their hands. We are not, the older generations are not listening to them. The governments are not listening to them. It, it, this is a, the, the psychotherapy and the solastalgia is something that is an ongoing research that relates back to how all these issues with global warming is actually causing depression in, in the younger generations. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, you see the more yeah. rising yeah. Of cases. Um, especially like eco anxiety and stuff um, among the, like young people, I think it's difficult, especially in maybe more Western countries, say like the UK or the US. Like, what would you say to for young people? How would they cope with that if they're in say like a very built up city? How would they maybe connect to nature? I believe um, then to actively go back to nature. Um, and, and my interest is the bonsai. That is why I'm teaching them bonsai. But I've got a friend who does, um, who will pick up litter off the beach. Uh, well, her seven-year-old daughter from young. Um, and, and she tries and gets the young kids together and teach them. And they get the sense of achievement and they they feel that they've done something. So instead of being hopeless about it and say, I can't do anything about it, I will take the young people, um, all prisoners, as in my next project, and I will take them back to the land and take them back to even growing a seed. Um, we, we literally start with walking in the fields, collecting seeds. And then I will tell them little stories about the, the seeds and how it disperses and why you don't get many of that species under the tree. So it's, there are little environmental lessons in everything we do. Another hobby of mine, uh, I live my, in a coastal town. When I go and walk on the beach, I pick up uh, polystyrene that comes with ships and I pick up huge big pieces and I actually make bonsai pots out of it. Oh, yeah. So yeah. instead of sitting back and saying, uh, being hopeless about it, I try and give them a purpose, there's even purpose in rubble. And that is what I'm trying to do with people who come to me with anxiety. And it's it's far more than just global warming. We, we look at the current pandemic where um, a lot of young people are experiencing things that 
I will never experience. And they're not equipped to have been locked down. We've just come out of two years of lockdown. We, we, our kids didn't go to school. I went back to university for the first time in two years last Monday. My calendar on my desk was still 2020. There are young people who have lost, they couldn't go out and walk on the beach. We, we were not even the, the, the beginning of COVID. We were not even allowed to leave our homes. So go, my message is basically for, for these people is to take them back to nature and relive all those things and not, not to see the rising levels, but to look at the, the air pollution. Um, how can, what can I do? Uh, something that is very popular in the area where I live is wood carvings. So a lot of people, it's the only means of income. They would literally dig up trees to use the roots to make carvings. Um, and then you use that little life lesson. Okay, let's dig up the tree. It's in the way of a road that's going to be built. It's going to be pulled up. Let's make a bonsai and you can take it with you. If you leave, if you find a job in a city, you can take your tree with you to the city and you can live there with your tree. So there's, there's lots of things that one can do. I just try and look on the positive side of things. Do you feel there's maybe not as much education on it as there should be? I, I think when you sit with extreme poverty like in the area where where i live and your only option is to dig up the last tree and make a wooden sculpture even i will do it if it means i'm going to feed my family but i think to give people options when i worked with and and i i don't know oh let me just go back did you find my phd manuscript or did you find the articles that i wrote how did you it was the articles you wrote on bonsais i found via your it was a wordpress website and i found your details via okay. there okay i i wrote an article for an academic journal on the the traumatized youth group so what i did with them is they there was an area that was being developed so we went and dug out the trees that were going to be flattened and pulled out in any case and then because we did not have grow on pots i went to um we just walked on the side of the road and we picked up empty mill containers, um, dishwashing liquid, empty bottles. So I, I showed them that you don't need money to do something that you like. So they were able to use what is there to generate an income. And just incidentally, I it, it's a project that finished about three, four years ago. And I drove past the building area where I met with these youngsters and they've carried on with it so when when you drive past this farm stall now 
that used to have ugly wooden carvings of tree roots that really killed the environment. There are rows and rows and rows of little trees, beginner trees even, in milk cartons, milk bottles, sanitizing bottles. And it was so heartening to see that they've actually managed to generate an income from that. It's on a tourist route, so lots of people stop there uh, and they manage to generate an income for themselves from that. I think also from there, a lot of healing can take place. The anger towards the trauma that happened in their life, the anxieties, because just like a sculptor or a painter, you express your emotions in a, in a young bonsai tree, you can bend it and shape it and tie a knot in it. So you can express all of that in your tree. It seems that it is working. I'm getting a lot of good feedback from it, especially seeing that I don't speak the local language. No, no that's, that definitely sounds quite um, like a powerful tool that I suppose more people could realise. Maybe some people have got in touch with, say, like gardening or like horticulture during lockdown, but... I think it's quite hard sometimes with maybe on a bigger scale to to keep a healthy relationship with nature if say like a, a, a in like a capitalist society when it's looking to deforestize and that do you think that's an issue that would maybe that affects climate change so i think once i got through to these this group as to why it is better and i explained the cycle of just oxygen and cleaning, cleaning the air by not chopping down a tree. When I look at what has happened in the area, it definitely had an impact. There's a lot of subsistence farming in the area where I live. So everybody with a small plot of land will plant a little bit of corn, some potatoes. We have a, a vegetable in our area very few people like it. We we love it. We eat it. It's like a potato, but it's very salty. So and it doesn't have as many calories as so it's actually healthier than a potato. So that grows just about anywhere, and it's almost a weed. You can't kill it. So people would build a house on a piece of land and then flatten everything else to plant madumbis, and that seems to have slowed down in in that specific area. And that's if, if I reach one person to not take all the, the vegetation off their property, I leave a bit of grass, leave a bit of weeds for the bees. If I can get through to them with that message, then I, I almost feel that I've won. I'm the crazy lady in the village that when I leave the beach in my vehicle, it's full of rubbish. Yeah. And I, I don't mind. I come and get rid of it here. And half of it I use and people buy it from me. No, that's quite inspiring to hear. I think that, you know, just to educate in one person or one group, you can kind of like filter down the, the lessons to be learned from leaving a tree up or leaving weeds up. It has like a positive impact on the environment, not just around, but in the nearby area. And that will that will trickle down, I think. Yeah, uh, the message, I, I just don't want to instill fear about climate change and rising sea levels that that's a big thing where i live because we're all on the coast and everybody i remember my own kids were terrified after the, when they were little after the tsunami that we were going to be hit by a tsunami and everything's going to wash away 
because of climate change. So I think even there, it started for me to get the right message out there. And and fear is not the right message. I've got one more philosophy that I, I think when everybody has a doom message about climate change, people shut down. They don't want to listen to, oh, here we go again, rising sea levels, this is going to be underwater and it's it, it's almost accelerating as the years go on. I definitely don't want to, because that leads to more anxiety. So I also do, I, I go and do talks at schools um, in my, in our area. And, and that is also the message that I, so when people expect me to go and shout at them for wasting water or I don't, I don't do it that way. I think that's quite, a, it's not a um, discourse you hear much is that you focus on solutions rather than, you know, rather than the problem. Cause I think especially we had COP26 here last September and I think it was a lot of the, the narrative focused on how bad things are and well, I think that is important and you need to address that, it's it doesn't really do much for people's, you know, anxieties and fears if you're not yeah. talking about how you can address these problems and how we can get out of it rather than everything is, you know, everything's going to end up horrible and we're all going to die because then you're, you're just going to lose hope and it's not going to, it's not going to, um, you know, allow us like the young people um, who are suffering from like all the anxiety and, and doom and gloom to, to feel that they can, they can achieve change, which, you know, like you're saying they can. Yeah. I, I definitely feel that we're not equipping our children with coping skills they they were definitely i don't think anybody was prepared for the adversity in the last two years but i i just feel that everybody got so tired of and i have a lot of respect for greta thunberg and what she does and and how she goes around it but her message i think stopped getting through because adults turned against her yeah which is very sad then going and and offering solutions you know one of one of the the most inspiring things for me um it happened in one of our towns in south africa unfortunately not more but people who build roads from plastic recycled plastic brilliant yeah why aren't we doing it more you know, we, we, where I live, a road needs to be retarded every two or three years. So if plastic is not that durable, we're going to do it every two or three years in any case. Let's use what is available. Just incidentally, we don't recycle because you separate your rubbish into, I do have a compost heap, so I do my own. I need the soil for my bonsais. But we found that even if we do the orange bag for plastic and the glass to this and the paper to somewhere else, the rubbish van comes along, everything gets thrown into the back 
and it gets dumped. We went to the rubbish dump for research once and there's no separation there. So my paper and my vegetable peels and whatever goes on my um, compost here and the plastic we throw away. That's about all we throw away. We can't profess and proclaim everybody must do one thing, but then top down it doesn't happen. When we go about it, let's, let's tackle it at grassroots. Let's try not to buy plastic. I don't know if it works this way in England but uh, or Scotland. In South Africa, you've got to pay for your plastic bags. If you go shopping. Yeah, we have the same. It's like, um, like 5p or something. Yeah, it's okay. It's a little bit more expensive here by us. It's about 10p by us. But what we started doing with a women's group is to use the plastic bags um, and they almost do a type of a crochet macrame thing to make um, doormats because the buying the selling of the plastic bags was meant to stop people from buying plastic bags but it, it didn't work so let's recycle that let's use something else with the plastic to try and and use less and maybe if we use less you will stop the air pollution if you stop the air pollution you will stop that the plant health from deteriorating we have a mine close to us um, and the mine dust very definitely affects well the nature uh, the the plant health around us um no, it's just making people people aware of that kind of thing again i think it's like yeah a lot of it is tied to awareness and education of how little things can either like affect you know negatively or positively the environment that surrounds them even there's a landfill not far from my house here and there was something on the news last night about how it's like unlicensed and how it's affecting all the water around us and just stuff like that that I'd never realized, you know, that um can be so close to so close to where I live. So now it's pretty um I think it definitely starts with uh, you know education, especially with the because if you look at the the climate movement around the world, it's shown that, you know, there is an audience and who are willing to listen to suggestions and, you know, strategies to move forward. So I think, you know, having, you know, people like yourself who are, you know, shown how they can alleviate not only their anxiety but actually make a, a positive change that's going to give them a lot of hope and it's going to you know allow them to work through through their anxieties to a world that they want to live in you know that is i think the biggest issue now is the mental health fallout and and it's not just climate change um and and climate change is is more than just what we're doing to nature, but also during this whole COVID thing. It, it's, I'm not saying that COVID got out of hand because of climate change, but I think there were definitely some positive outfall from not having 50 million, if not having 50 million airplanes in the air. So yeah, I I sort of put it, I try and put a positive spin on the COVID lockdowns um, as well. Yeah. It is difficult to explain to somebody who lost two years of their lives, especially uh, I'm thinking of specific people that I'm working with at the moment, people who went to varsity uh, beginning of 2020, who missed out on the whole socializing thing. We we spent 2020, uh, my kids spent at home. 
and they were both at universe, different universities. Uh, the university where I am, because of our limited resources, we were closed for two years. We, the students just, they had to go online to get their lessons. And um, half the rural areas where we live don't even have access to Wi-Fi or internet. Mm -hmm. It was very, very difficult. And those anxieties now, now to say to that child um, or student rather, not child, oh, you must have hope and be positive. Um, that's very difficult. And that's why I use the tools, be it a seed or a, a, a tree to make something grow. Uh, something that is not static, that gives life, shows life, shows progress, or dies. Sometimes it dies. And mm. then you've got to go into, you've got to put on your psychology shoes and talk about grief yeah. and bereavement. Yeah. And you mourn the loss of that tree, and then you go and get another one. Yeah, and you a, learn yeah. lessons from why that tree died. Yeah. And I think the same yeah. issue can be used with climate change no definitely i think it's that that's such a useful tool to think of it that it's almost like a like a pet in some way how you know they say that pets are good teachers for for kids for life because you get used to caring for something looking after it and also with the, you know the whole the the issue of grief and of loss and that you know things need care and attention and and that um that's just the way that life goes it's not always going to be easy and i think getting used to that is definitely a powerful a powerful tool to learn at any age thank you so much for agreeing to meet with me carol that was that was really insightful and i'm 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 very glad that you, that you agreed to come along for it pleasure yeah thanks for your call and good luck all the best so that was my interview with dr carol herman i hope you've enjoyed it hope you've learned something and yeah just keep in touch on the social media at Rising Clyde on Instagram and Twitter. And lots of love. Bye bye.